There was a time when I was running away and was ruled by fear, but then I was forgiven by Jesus and I chose to follow him. Now I am settled and at peace. Do you have a story like this? What you just heard me say was my 15 second testimony. And you should each have received a card and a pen as you came in. And uh, the card should look something like uh, this. Okay, it has little, uh, has a cross in the middle and has lines on it. If you don't have one, uh, then please raise your hand and Nathan will, uh, will hand, hand them out. So if you don't have a card and a piece of paper, raise your hand, make yourself known and Nathan will hand them out. Um, so if, if you're a follower of Jesus, if he's your Lord and Savior, if he's your reason for existence, then you're going to create your own 15 second testimony right now. Okay, so first of all, uh, I see a hand there. Awesome. Thank you, Chris. So first of all, I want you to write down two words that describe your life before Jesus. Okay, two words. Two, so think about your life uh, prior to Jesus. Write down two words that describe that life. Mine was running away and ruled by fear. Okay, but what's yours? Were, were, Were you selfish? Were you addicted? Were you lost? Were you lonely? Okay, so write those down on the left-hand side of the page. I actually have a handy-dandy little thing here. So uh, I'm, I'm going to use it because uh, I want you to be able to see. But like a genius, I'll put down my pen over here. Here we go. Ah, great. So, so it should look something like uh, this. Let me just grab my... Here we go. So, so it should... So we have the word intro here, and then this is where you're going to put your two words, one there and one there. Okay, this is your life uh, prior to Christ. Okay, um, now, now, now what I want you to do is to think of two words that describe your life now. So now that you're in Christ, what are two words that maybe describe your life? And as a helpful little hint, you don't have to do this, but... It's helpful if it's kind, it might be helpful if this word is the opposite of that, right? Uh, and this word is the opposite of that. It's, it helps you remember. So, um, you know, for me, um, I was running away and I was ruled by fear, but now I'm settled, which is the opposite of running away. And I was ruled by fear, but now I have peace. Okay. So, so that's my example. Um, and then in the middle, um, we have a cross, and we have the word Jesus, and we have the word ask here. And so here, there are two lines. And what I want you to write is forgiven, forgiven and follow, or forgave and follow, forgave and follow. Because it's at this point when you're sharing your 15-second testimony that you say, But then I was forgiven by Jesus, and I chose to follow him. I was forgiven by Jesus, and I chose to follow him. And now uh, you move into these last two words there. Um, So I think think that's clear. Um, Oh, yeah. And then you ask the question, and, and you say, do you have a story like this? 
Okay, because what you want to do is not just to have it as the end of a conversation, but if they do have a story like that, then you want to hear it. And if they don't have a story like that, then, then you're leaving kind of a, a stone in their shoe for them to be thinking about. Okay, so write all this down. Okay, these two words, these words here, forgave and follow, and then these two words, these afterwords there. Okay. And later on, if you want to learn more about it or remind yourself how, how to do it, because it is a bit of a scripted thing, then you can go to this URL here at the bottom, everywhere to everywhere.org. I want you to be learning that, and I want you to be internalizing it, because I've never heard, I've, I've, I've never had um, such an easy way for us to remember our story in Jesus. I can take this off now, right? This is... Uh, yeah. Okay, so this, the, so the morning that I woke up, uh, uh, that I was writing this message, I woke up and I checked the time on my bedside on, on my bedside clock, and I got out of bed, and then I walked into the kitchen and I flicked on the coffee maker that I prepared the night before, and I heard the the hopeful sound of water and of caffeine uh, as it kind of ran through you know, the filter. And then I went downstairs into the shower room and I noticed the little red light on the dehumidifier next to the sink, which means it's full. And so I took out the tray containing all the water. I poured it into the sink. Then I heard my dehumidifier start up again. After my shower, I got dressed. I then went up into the kitchen where I noticed the little light on the battery charger for my camera battery was green. And I made a mental note to take the battery out of the charger and put it back into my camera. My eye was then drawn to the red light on the coffee machine, which meant it was ready. And so I grabbed a mug from the cup and I, I filled it up and I experienced the joy, that little hit of the first cup of coffee in the morning. I then glanced over at my phone and I saw the little light was on, meaning that it was fully charged. And, my, and I saw that my Bluetooth headphones were also ready. So I grabbed my Bible and my laptop and my sermon notes and I went to sit outside on the front step of our house just over there and I posted a happy birthday message to Wendy on Facebook and I waved to Arlene as she walked by and then and then I walked back in and I heard CBC Radio 1 playing from my room meaning that my alarm had gone off. Now normally that would cause me to rush in and to switch it off but uh, except I remembered that it was only me and Maya at home and Maya sleeps like a log and uh, so I was quite happy to have the little uh, noise of the radio on in the background. Um, I then noticed that it was 6.58 on my laptop, so I went inside to Maya's room. I opened her curtains. I sat on her bed. I rubbed her back until she woke up, and she woke up and goes, it's bright. <laughs> and then I asked her, would you like to either listen to Good Morning by Mandisa or Waking Up by We the Kingdom? These are her favorite morning songs, as we in the whole household know. Uh, and so she said, I'd like to hear the Mandisa song. So, so I asked our Amazon assistant to play Mandisa. And then Maya swung her legs around. She got out of bed and the day started. This is pretty much stereotypical of our morning routine. But aside from my morning routine, what have I just described to you over and over and over and over and over again? I've, I've just shown you that, that uh, a symbol points 
to a meaning that invites a response. A symbol points to a meaning that invites a response. Let's all say that. A symbol points to a meaning that invites a response. That's what we've seen. So we saw the clock, which is a symbol, which pointed to a meaning, uh, the time that invited a response. Get up. And then the humidifier light, which was a symbol, pointed to a meaning that it's full, that invited a response. Empty it. Uh, the battery charger light, a symbol, pointed to a meaning, it's charged, that invited a response. Put the battery back in the camera. The phone light, a symbol, pointed to a, a meaning, that it's charged, inviting response. Put the phone in the pocket and the headphones around my neck. Uh, the coffee light, a symbol, pointed to a meaning that the coffee was ready, inviting a response. Drink me. Uh, the radio alarm, a symbol, pointed to a meaning, it's time to get up, that would have invited a response if I wasn't already awake. And then the song Good Morning by Mandisa, a symbol, pointed to a meaning, Maya, it's time to wake up, inviting a response that she got up. And all this before 7 a.m. Friends, our lives are filled with symbols that point to meanings that invite a response. Um, let's turn to Exodus chapter 12, verses 21 to 23. Exodus 12, 21 to 23. It says this, Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood in the basin, and Put some of the blood on the top and both sides of the doorframe. None of you shall go out of the door of your house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and, and the sides of the doorframe and will pass over the doorway and he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. One... One commentator, one writer, words it like this. He said, God accepted the blood of the sacrifice and passed over their sins. Similarly, those who have been born again uh, have Christ's blood covering them. God sees Christ's blood on us and he passes over our sin. He forgives our trespasses and sees Christ's righteousness as our own. What a merciful God. Another way to read that is that symbols have a meaning that invites a response. Now, Egypt has just been visited by the first nine plagues. Each plague is a decisive victory over one of the local, local, local Egyptian gods. And Pharaoh's heart, as we learned last week, has hardened and hardened. He's the king of the kingdom of the hardening heart. And then God warns the Hebrews through Moses that the final plague, the plague on the firstborn, is on its way. And uh, Exodus um, chapter 11 verse 6 says, There will be loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than there has ever been or ever will be again. But among the Israelites, not a dog will bark at any person or animal. Then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. So we see that, that God's judgment is surgical. However, it's worth noting later, you know, just to help us understand this context, that when the Israelites leave Egypt, that the text in chapter 12, verse 38, says this. It says, many other people went up with them and also large droves of livestock, both flock and herds. And the New Living Translation says, a rabble of non-Israelites went with them. And this rabble of non-Israelites may well have included some Egyptians as the book of Numbers seems to indicate later on. Interesting. 
And then in chapter 12, God tells his people how to eat the first Passover meal in preparation for leaving Egypt. So there's a lamb, you slaughter it, you then smear the blood on the doorframe, you roast the lamb and you eat it with herbs or vegetables which are bitter and bread made without yeast. If anything is left, burn it. And while you're eating, make sure you have your shoes and your hiking clothes on ready to leave. Then in verse 14, Moses says, this is a day to remember. And then he switches into future mode. Okay, he's not just talking about what's coming now. He's talking about the future. And he casts the minds of the Israelites forward uh, to, to the time in the future when they're going to look back on this moment. And he says, each year from generation to generation, you must celebrate it as a special festival to the Lord. This is a law for all time. And then he details what the future Passover meals are going to look like in chapter 12 or, or, or chapter 13. Um, he says, uh, he says that, 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 that there'll be seven days of eating bread with no yeast, so this flat bread. And then Moses says that it will be a meal for the family of the Israelites, but outsiders, you know, that, those, those rabble of the non-Israelites, can eat it if they're circumcised, which was the mechanism for the outsiders to become insiders in those days. And then in chapter 13, Moses commands the dedication of the firstborn to God, both animals and human sons. Why am I telling you all this? That's a lot of statistics, a lot of facts. I'm telling you this so that you can see that Exodus chapter 13 and Exodus chapter 14 are full, full, full of symbols. You know, the bitter herbs and the slaughtered lamb and the blood on the doorframe and the circumcision and the roast lamb and the unleavened bread. All of these are symbols. And then in Exodus chapter 13 verse 14, we find out why. Exodus 13 verse 14 says this. In days to come, when your son asks you, what does this mean? Say to him, with a mighty hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. When Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed the firstborn of both people and animals in Egypt. This is why I sacrifice to the Lord the first male offspring of every womb and redeem each of my firstborn sons. And it will be like a sign on your hand and a symbol on your forehead that the Lord brought us out of Egypt with his mighty hand. So they go through this highly symbolic meal. So that someone will ask them, what does this all mean? And similarly, just a few verses earlier, in Exodus 13, verse 8, um, Moses says this. He says, on that day, that future day when you're eating this symbolic meal, tell your son, I do this because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. Isn't that great that in this meal, it's not just symbolic, but there's a personal element to it. I do this because of what the Lord did for me. So symbols point to a meaning that invite a response. Okay, so let me speak to you this morning. If you've known 
the misery and the bitterness of the slavery of sin, just like the Israelites ate the herbs. If you've experienced the relief and the joy of Jesus' saving grace and his blood being applied to your life, just like the blood was applied to the doorposts, if you remember what it was like to just long to be free from your old life, you knew that there was something wrong, but you didn't know how to fix it, just like the just like the the people of Israel were so ready to leave that they ate that meal with their hiking clothes on. If you've known the freedom and liberation of your soul from the power and the effects of sin, just like that bread was free from the power and the effects of leaven, of, of yeast, then this next bit is for you. These questions are for you. And the question that I have for you is this. If all of this is true of you, if you've been saved, if Jesus is your Lord and Savior, then what are the ways that you can live that will invite the curiosity of others to ask you questions? Or another way to say this is, what symbols or what rituals do you have in your home or your life that invite the questions of those that you love so that you can explain the deeper meaning behind them and lead them perhaps to a response? Because friends, there's power in symbols. There is power in rituals. Last week, we saw the power of the ritual of someone going under the water and coming up again. Um, this this wonderful, powerful Symbol, symbolizing our spiritual death and our rebirth in Christ. So symbols and rituals have power. And I believe that our lives and our households need more symbols that point to meaning, that lead to the response of curiosity in others. Why is this? I think it's because we're wired this way. And if you don't believe me, listen to this. This week, I was chatting with a teenage friend. They have an iPhone that logs screen time, app usage, and all of that thing. And, you know, all of those things. And this teen said that on Saturday, the 10th of July, they were on their phone for 10 hours and 16 minutes. Okay, it sounds like a full-time job. And of that 10 hours and 16 minutes, and I know all the parents are going, are you that teen? (laughs) And... Uh, And of that 10 hours and 16 minutes, they were on social media for six hours. And during that time, they received 393 notifications that led them to pick up their phone 200 times. They then scrolled down and said to me, actually, this wasn't even the worst day. Okay, 393 notifications, phone picked up 200 times. Now let's give them the benefit of the doubt and say that they got up at 6 a.m. and they were awake until 10 a.m. at night. That's 16 hours, uh, which means that each hour there were 24 notifications and 12 physical pickups of the phone, which in my maths anyway, that means that there was a notification every two and a half minutes and a pickup of the phone every five minutes during the waking time. Now, my point isn't to highlight the dangers of smartphones, because I know if I analyze my smartphone usage, I would probably equally shocked. But, 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 but my point is to show that we are wired to respond to symbols and routines. And so the symbol of the buzz points to a meaning that there's a notification that invites me to respond. I have to read it. I have to see what it is. Who liked my post? I want to know, right? 
And Apple knows this, and Android knows this, and Facebook knows this, and Google knows this, and Satan knows this, and God knows this as well, because he made us. So what if you could live a life that invites the curiosity of the person seeking for truth or for God? What if you could be, you know, the buzz or the ding that starts them on a journey to Jesus? So let's do a quick show of hands here, okay? How many of us have shared our salvation story with Jesus with someone during the past week? If so, raise your hand. Okay, awesome. How many of us have shared our salvation story with someone during the past month? Raise your hand. How many of us have raised our salvation story with someone over the past year? Raise your hand. I'm actually encouraged. This is awesome. Man, I was trying to prove a point. Okay. But, but, but my, 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 my point is that even though uh, an encouraging number of you raised your hands, it wasn't everyone, right? And, uh, and because we live in a society that even if you have an amazing story of Jesus, it's really hard to say out of nowhere, hey, did I ever tell you about Jesus? But what if we had symbols or rituals in our lives that pointed to our relationship with Jesus, that piqued the curiosity of those in our home or workplaces or neighborhoods or grocery stores? You know, I know that Mr. Boyce Peters here at Cornerstone, who's already spoken, well, he has hats with witty phrases on them, phrases about Jesus. And these hats lead to conversations, right, Boyce? Yeah? Yeah? When you wear that hat, people ask you about them, right? Yeah, awesome. So, and, and then there are people who sometimes wear crosses, or they have bumper stickers on their car, or they maybe have a tattoo. Now, my hope one day is to get a tattoo of these symbols on my wrist that, that uh, if someone asks me, hey, what do those mean? Because if I see someone w- with a tattoo, I, I always want to know what it means, right? And, so, and then someone asks me, and I can say, well, I'm glad... You asked, because there once was a time when I was, right? What are other symbols or rituals? Well, when you're at home, do you talk about God with your children? Do you talk about him at meals? Do you do your... Your study of the word in, 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 in full view of your children. I remember waking up and seeing my dad sat there doing his morning devotions in the kitchen before the family woke up. This was a symbol. It was a ritual with a deeper meaning that God was worth spending time with. When the girls were younger, they would hear a siren and we'd stop and we'd pray about whatever was happening there. That symbol pointed to a meaning that invited a response. What about the music that you're listening to when you ride share? What about uh, the book that you read during lunchtime? And so these symbols and rituals of ours can lead others to the response of curiosity, right? Okay, Grandma, why do you do that? Why do you wear that? Dad, why do you say that? Mum, why do you have that verse hanging on the fridge? What does it mean? Why do you have that symbol as your lock screen image? Why do you have that verse on your bathroom mirror? Why do you pause before meals at work with your eyes closed? Why do you have a tattoo on your arm? Now, I don't want to spend too long on on this, but I would encourage you over this next week to consider what symbols or rituals you have in your life that point to 
a deeper meaning that invites a response of curiosity from others. You know, I, you know, I think sometimes we're resistant to symbols and rituals. You know, it's those other churches who have those icons and those things. You know, those are graven images. They're legalistic. But, but yes, we should reject empty symbols and empty rituals, but we should embrace and encourage full symbols and meaningful rituals that pique the curiosity of others. And friends, once we start looking at life in this way, suddenly um, our cars, our kitchens, our workspaces, our bathrooms, our front doors, our dining rooms will become places where life-giving rituals can take place and hope-bringing symbols are able to be displayed. And what's wonderful about all this, friends, is that you liberate yourself from that awkwardness of trying to squeeze Jesus into the midst of your conversations. Instead, you're inviting a question, and if God's working in their life, then, then they will ask. And that's precisely what Exodus 12 is modeling, the invitation of the question. Exodus 13, 14 says says in days to come when your son asks you what does this mean say to him with a mighty hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt out of the land of slavery but when they ask you that question I wonder what you're going to say right uh well I don't know what that symbol means it's something about hell and cross and Jesus and forgiveness and uh yes Jesus loves me for the Bible tells me so and there once was a land, uh, king in a land far far away and I I don't know what to say right someone asks us about Jesus we panic and we say stupid stuff that's embarrassing but 1 Peter 3.15 says this, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you the reason for the hope that you have, right? You're not telling them the hope, but you're ready for when they ask you. But do this with gentleness and respect. And so, friends, you no longer have to dread someone asking you about Jesus because as of this morning, you are prepared to give them an answer. Why? Because you know your 15-second testimony. There was a time when I was running away and I was ruled by fear, but then Jesus forgave me and I chose to follow him and now I am settled and at peace. Do you have a story like that? So if you have a symbol in one hand or a ritual in one hand, and if you have your 15-second testimony in the other hand, then you will be confident and you will be ready and you will be equipped to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ because a symbol points to a meaning that invites a response. Let's pray.